Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word Well, it is a joy to be able to introduce to you uh, Brother Dale Bigham. Now, 21 years ago or so, my wife and I came to Baptist Bible College here in Springfield, and, and uh, immediately as I introduced myself, my name is John Bingham, they would say, oh, you must be related to Brother Dale Bigham over in Amarillo, and I said, I have no idea who you're even talking about. And uh, eventually, after 20 years, people can uh, just start saying, hey, do you know, I know him, never met him until today. Today we had the privilege of getting to meet him uh, and his wife Janet, and they are such a blessing. Uh, I tell you, uh, we have enjoyed uh, just being in their presence. I want to thank you, Janet, for allowing our family just to be with you, and Brother Dale, uh, truly uh, what I would call a gentleman, and I thank the Lord for you and your spirit. Uh, it's been a real joy. A little bit about them, uh, they've been married for 51 years, amen? Let's give the Lord a praise for that, isn't that wonderful? They have three children, 12 grandchildren, 15 great-grandchildren. Did I do it right? Probably. Not even close. All right. <laughs> All right, so I'm close. they got a bunch of kiddos. He can tell you accurately. Uh, but uh, they, he pastored Arden Road Baptist Church in Amarillo, Texas, uh, for uh, 30 years there where they served faithfully. And uh, God blessed in that church. And they went from just a small attendance uh, of uh, 93 in 1992 uh, to over 500 every Sunday today. And so God has continued to bless the ministry and the work. God has used him to, and Sister Janet to bring encouragement to people everywhere they go. Uh, as I meet pastors and uh, you know, I ask them uh, about Dale Bigham, uh, mostly because I knew and asked him to come preach for us in our revival. And everyone that I've talked to has said, you won't regret it. I know he'll be a blessing to you tonight and, uh, and tomorrow night and Friday night as he preaches for us in the next three days. And I just want to ask you to continue to pray for him. We've been praying for weeks, and now tonight we're going to see God do great things. So Amen. thank you so much, Brother Bigham, for being with us. Thank Lord you. bless you. Thank you, Brother Bingham. That's, that's so hard to call him Brother Bingham. I've, I've, I've been called Brother Bingham all my life. And I about decided, you know, and I pastored people. I'm not kidding you, for 30 years that called me Brother Bingham. And after six or eight years, you just give up. It's, it's okay, you answer to it. And so I'm delighted to meet uh, Brother, your pastor, Brother Bingham, and in, delightful to be with you. Thank you for your hospitality and the prayers that you've offered and the fellowship that you've demonstrated tonight and the music has been wonderful. And we're just grateful for for that, I found out on my way over here tonight, driving over from the restaurant, that we have another connection uh, that we somewhat have with this church that I didn't know about, but I have a nephew uh, by the name of Wesley Bigham that married 
a girl from this church named Brooke Johnson. It was Brooke Johnson. Now it's Bigham. But, but anyway, I don't know. That doesn't seem to mean anything to you. But I was kind of excited. I called him on the way over here, and I said, didn't you used to go to Hillside? And he said, yeah. He said, I married a girl from Hillside Baptist. And so I'm just uh, I'm, I'm excited about being here with you and, and excited about, uh, see, I'm encouraged Seeing a being with a pastor who loves his people, it's just obvious, and a church who loves his pastor, it's just obvious. I travel enough and see enough when it's not that way, and so I'm just excited about that. I want to tell you tonight, uh, uh, just give me just a minute to kind of gather my thoughts and such. When I hear the expectations of your pastor for this meeting and such, and I understand that, but it's just like pressure, 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 pressure. (laughs) And I told the Lord as we prayed, I said, you know you're working with an earthen, frail vessel. It's all it's ever been. And so you're going to have to do something. But I feel like a fellow that I uh, listened to preach, he's an evangelist by the name of Junior Hill, and he told a story about... um, uh, being in a revival meeting and and uh, banker was a member of the church and had invited the pastor and brother Hill to come down to the bank and upstairs above the bank they had a really nice restaurant and so uh, brother Hill uh, brother Junior Hill and the pastor was there and they had lunch with the banker and during the lunch the banker asked brother Hill said brother Hill have you ever seen a have you ever seen a, a vault where we keep all the money? Junior Hill says, no, I never have. And he said, well, would, would you like to? He said, I, I believe I would. So after lunch, they went down to the vault, and he opened it up and looking in there, and he said, Brother Hill, have you ever seen a million dollars? And Brother Hill says, no, I haven't. He said, well, would you like to? He said, I believe I would. So he goes into the vault, he rolls a card out, and there stacked up, real neat, is a million dollars. He says, Brother Hill, have you ever held a million dollars? He said, no, I haven't. He said, would you like to? He said, I believe I would. So he's standing there holding this million dollars, and he says, do you know what I was thinking about when I'm standing there holding a million dollars in my hands? Here's what I was thinking. Here I am standing here holding a million dollars in my hands, and I have holes in my underwear. <laughs> and I'm telling you, when I am invited to preach a meeting, that's, that's how I feel. You have the opportunity to be a blessing, and I know, who, I know who you, who's preaching your meeting this week. I know more than you, you might know, and so... I do covet your prayers. Matter of fact, let's pray. Father, help me tonight and help us. We, we don't take lightly the opportunities to be in your house. We don't take lightly the fact that we have your word. We don't take lightly the fact that we have your spirit living within us. We don't take lightly the fact that there may be amongst us those who do not know you. And if something doesn't change, they'll spend an eternity apart from you. And we don't take lightly the fact that tonight they could, they could come to know you. Tonight, people who've been distant from you could come back to you. Tonight, people who've lost their joy 
could regain it and have it refreshed again. So I just beg you, in the name of your son Jesus, that you would work in our midst tonight. And we'll be happy with whatever, whatever you choose to accomplish. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you to meet me in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I was also uh, glad to see a couple of missionaries that I know here, Brother Ebert, Brother Miss Hilton, and good to see them, and those both missionaries that we supported in our ministry, and so I'm glad to see them again. I like this verse, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19, and I just want to read the um, the first few words of verse 19. It says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Isn't that good news? Amen. <laughs> I mean, that's the comforting news. The foundation of God standeth sure. I mean, those who know the Lord and love the Lord, those who see our political climate, those who see the world we live in and the darkness, and that we, can, that we are coming to a place where we have such grave, depressing depravity being celebrated, not just accomplished in the dark, celebrated unashamedly. And we as God's people look at that and say, what in the world's going on? And I'm telling you, it's rapid enough and rapid enough that it could, it could become depressing. And so we have to be constantly reminded that, no, no, wait a minute. Before, before you start getting all depressed and discouraged and defeated, discontent, remember, the foundation of God standeth sure. He made that note right there. That statement is not only a, a comforting, uh, encouraging statement, but it is also a, a, a challenging statement. And it's, a, and it's a precautionary statement. Because the foundation of God standing sure, in my mind, implies, when he says the foundation of God standeth sure, it implies that you're not going to be able to escape dealing with the foundation of God. You're not going to be able to not respond to the foundation of God. It standeth sure. It's like you can't avoid it. If, if, if you say, well, you know what, I... I just choose not to believe in God. Can I tell you that doesn't change the foundation of God one bit? And your choosing not to believe in God is a choice. You say, well, I'm going to be neutral. That's a choice. And you get to choose your choices, but you don't get to choose the consequences of your choices. God's going to already settle that and already determine that. So I want us to, I want us to look here, and, and, and I just... This, this message tonight is designed, and, and, and I'm hoping the Lord will let me do it. I just want to be an encouragement to you, because I feel like we as God's people need a revival of encouragement. We, we, we need that. We, I mean, you, you've got so many. You, you're not going to find a media source in the secular world that, that gives you any hope whatsoever. <laughs> of this world. There's just none. There's just none. And yet here we are 
looking at this truth that nevertheless the foundation of God standeth sure. So this message, there's a lot of moving parts. And every time I tried to work on it to, to, uh, to make it clearer, it just got longer. So I just, I'm just going to give it to you. You're welcome. And <laughs> I'll give you the, the brief version. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Now, who's he talking to? Who's Paul talking to in this, in this, with this statement? Look at chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Do you note in verse 1 that he challenges them. He establishes the relationship. He's a son to... To the, to the author of this, and he's encouraging him to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He is writing to saints who need the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that fit anybody here? He's also writing to people who are challenged by their culture. Look what he says in verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You say, well, what makes it, what makes it hard? Well, what, what, what the world does that requires us to endure hardness is eventually they will come to despise the light that we love and that we are or supposed to be. And he says here, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. This culture is challenging to the Christian. And he says in verse 4, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. We're challenged by our culture. That's who Paul's writing to. Not only are we challenged by our culture, but we're challenged by the rules of engagement. Look at verse 5. He says, and if any man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. Now, what does he mean by that? Did you know that God has a designed approach for his children in regard to the world? We're not, we're not given the opportunity to choose our response to the world. God's already told us what our response to the world is supposed to be. To those who do not know the Lord, look what he says in verse 23 and 25 of that same chapter. He says, But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. I'm telling you, this world does not naturally draw gentleness from me. It just doesn't. That's my natural response. And say, well, what do you do? Well, I struggle at times to yield to the response the Lord calls for. So that's who he's writing to. He's writing to people who are challenged by their culture. He's writing to people who need the strength of the Lord. He's writing to people who are struggling with their response to the world. So that's who he's writing to. So what is Paul referring to? When he says the foundation of God standeth sure, what is he referring to? Well, let me just let you uh, understand this. When he speaks of the foundation of God, 
He is not saying that God needs something to stand upon to be God, that God needs something to support him, that God needs something to hold him up. Can I tell you, he's God all by himself. He's God all by himself. He doesn't need anyone or anything for him to be God. So when he speaks about the foundation of God, he's not saying that he has something that supports him that makes him God. When he speaks about the foundation of God, he's speaking, I believe, about one, his word. He's saying, the foundation of God, my word, stands sure. My word standeth sure. Do you remember what he said in the Gospels when he's talking about the, 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 the man that built his house upon a rock? He's saying, Jesus spoke of the sayings of mine He says, if any man will hear the sayings of mine, it'll be like he built his house upon a rock. So he speaks about his word as a foundation. So when he speaks about the foundation of God, he's speaking about the word of God, or he's speaking about, and could be at the same time speaking about, Christ. Because he spoke of Christ and said, for other foundation can no man lay, that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Or he could be speaking about his church because he did say that his church was the pillar and ground of the truth. So I know who he's talking to. He's talking to people like us. I know what he's talking about. He's talking about his word. He's talking about his son. He's talking about his church. And he says about them that the foundation of God, my word, my son, my church standeth sure. Then what is Paul's message? Look what he says. Look what he says in verse 19. His, this is his message. Nevertheless, now the word nevertheless is a in spite of phrase. It's an in spite of phrase. There's a lot of, a lot of challenges to the, in our world to the word of God, to Christ, and to his church. There's a lot of challenges. But he's saying that the word and Christ and the church is not going to be weakened by any challenge. His word, the church, his son, is not going to be lessened by any challenge. He is saying here that the foundation of God, he says, nevertheless, you may look at things and say, man, this world is in so much trouble, and, and the world is in trouble. I, I was preaching in, uh, in Venita, Oklahoma, and I made this statement. This would, have, this would have been about 18 months ago, right after an election that I wasn't pleased about took place. And I was in the pulpit, and I was feeling the effect of disappointment, I guess, or whatever, dismay. <laughs> dismay would be a good word. Uh, not believing. And I said, folks, we are in so much trouble. And after that statement, someone came to me. He was a younger fellow, younger than me. And, um, and he said, Preacher, I disagree with you that we're in so much trouble. And I thought, okay, we're about to get in a political debate here. And he said, uh, I think it's the world that's in so much trouble. He said, God's still presiding, isn't he? And I said, yes, he is. He's still on the throne, yes. Still has authority, yes. Still has, still has power, yes. I stand corrected. <laughs> We're not in trouble. This world is in trouble. 
And that's what he's saying here, nevertheless. He's saying that the foundation of God has been and will be often challenged, but it has not and will not ever be conquered. He says the foundation of God. He said nevertheless. And then he said the foundation of God. Then he uses the word standeth. Look what it says. Standeth. Now that word standeth, he could have said that the foundation of God stood, or he could have said the foundation of God will stand, but the Bible says the foundation of God standeth, meaning the foundation of God stood in the past, stands in the present, and will stand in the future. The Word of God, Christ, His church, stood in the past, standing in the present, will stand in the future. Then he uses this word. Look at verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth, and he uses this word, sure. Meaning, it's more than just barely upright. I want you to get this picture about the word in Christ and his church. It's more than just upright. You know, you can be upright and be a little tilted. Still vertical, kind of. Still upright, kind of. But I'm telling you, when you talk about this and the foundation of God, He makes sure that you understand His Word, His church, His Son, it's not even a little bit wobbly. It's not even a little bit off of plumb. It's not even a little bit affected by those often challenges that might come. And so He's just making sure you understand that, that He's speaking to us. He's speaking of Christ, His Word, His church, or anything He puts His hand to us. And He says it's often challenged, but nevertheless, don't you worry, it stands sure. Now, note before we move on to this, and, and I, have a, I have a part of this message that I really want to get to, so I hope you can bear with me through all this information. Look what He says in verse 7. Verse 7. He says, consider consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. What he does in verse 7 and and following is he gives evidence of things God has accomplished and is accomplishing so that when he gets to verse 19, you will believe without hesitation that the foundation of God standeth sure. So he, you look at this and you find three evidences given here that the foundation, that, that, that Christ and, uh, and His Word and His church stand sure. For example, look at verse 8. He says, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Somebody says, well, you know, you're saying the foundation of God stands assured, but do you remember what they did to the Son of God? They, they crucified Him. I know. But remember what God did? Amen. He raised Him from the dead. He's given you evidence here in this chapter that, that cause, would cause you to when you hear the fact that the foundation of God standeth sure and you look at a world that is depraved and dark, you're going to land on, no, I believe the foundation of God standeth sure in spite of what I see because they crucified Christ, but God raised Him up. Then you get to verse 9 and you consider... He says, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. 
You say, well, don't you remember what they did to that preacher named Paul? Well, yeah, they put him in jail. But look what he says. But the word of God is not bound. Yeah, they can crucify God's son, but God raised him up. Yes, they can put the preacher in jail, but they can't stop the word from going forth. Then you find out, finally, it says in verse 13, if we believe not. Somebody says, preacher, I know you, you, you believe in the Bible, and I know you believe in Christ, and, and I know you, you claim to be a Christian, but did you know that the majority of the world is not Christian? I know. Well, doesn't that discourage you from believing? No. Because he says here in verse 13, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. He's giving us evidences. Do you understand? He's giving us evidences. So when he says the foundation of God standeth sure, nobody's going to question it. Everybody's going to prepare for it. Everybody's going to know they're going to have to be, uh, 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 face the foundation of God because there, here's the evidence. They crucified Jesus, but God raised him up. They put the preacher in jail, but the word was unbound. And they literally, though they don't believe, God says, that doesn't affect me in heaven one bit. So I know who he's speaking to. He's speaking to people like us. I know what he's speaking about. He's speaking about Christ, his word, and his church, anything he puts his hands to. I know that the foundation of God is going to be often challenged, but it stands sure, and there's evidence given here to support them. Now, what what is this message? What what, What does all this mean? What The fact that the foundation of God standeth sure, why should I care? Look at verse 19 again, and let me read this for with you. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, and look what it says, having this seal. Now, I'll just confess to you that a good portion of my ministry, anytime I read that, I'd stop and say, okay, what is the seal? What is the seal? Show me the seal. I don't see the seal. And I was looking for a seal to authenticate the foundation of God. I was looking for a seal that let me know that the foundation of God was real and valid, that it was authentic. He's not saying that the foundation of God is authenticated by a seal, because here's what a seal does, and, I, and this, is, this is the understanding of this that'll help you with this. What he, when he talks about the seal, think Not something that authenticates it, lets you know that it's real, but rather he think inscription. Inscription. You see something there and you don't know what it means. And then you find an inscription. You find an inscription that explains what that means. And that's what he's saying here when he says, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, making this known, helping us see this, making us believe and understand this. That's what he's saying. The foundation of God standing sure makes this truth known. And he gives some truths. Number one, and this will be our message. Listen to this. The foundation of God standing sure makes known that God knows those that are His. Look what he says in verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, or making this known, the Lord 
knoweth them that are His. He knows your heart. He knows if you belong to Him. He knows if He has your heart. He knows if you're saved. We become His when we trust Christ as our Savior, and something is accomplished when we do that that He will never forget. Now, that may not sound too significant at the moment, but I could tell you about my, uh, my dad's aunt. She was in a nursing home in Amarillo, Texas, and so when we moved to Amarillo, I just put her on my little private list, and I would go visit church members who were in the nursing home and such, and so I would stop by and see Aunt Thelma, Thelma Bigham, Aunt Thelma. She was always sitting in the same place, the same spot, the same wing everywhere. And I'd go in and say, Thelma, how are you doing today? And she'd look at me kind of like, and I would recognize, she doesn't know me. And, and we'd talk for a little bit, and then she'd say, um, now who are you? And I'd say, well, I'm Dale Bigham. Oh, you are. You're Dale Bigham. Yeah. Well, who's, whose boy are you? And I'd say, well, I'm Ed and Veda's boy. Oh, you are, Ed and Veda's boy. Well, yeah. No, how's how's Ed and Veda doing? Well, they're doing good. Oh. Well, where's Ed and Veda live? I'd tell her, oh. Now, whose boy are you? And it would just... That would seem that that was a, a repeated process. I'm not making light. I'm just saying, thank God, He knows those that belong to Him. It's not based on my remembrance. It's not based on my uh, right living. It's based on there was a time when I, as a sinner, came before the Lord Jesus Christ, repented of my sin, and called upon Jesus to be my Savior. And there was a transaction taken place, took place that Jesus will never forget. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, there's the foundation of God standing sure, not even wobbling a little bit. His Word is sure. His church is sure. His Son is sure. I'm just telling you, that stands there and it says to me, I don't ever have to worry about forgetting about being saved because Jesus remembers. I don't ever have to worry about a disease that might take my memory and cause me not to remember who I am or who He is, maybe, because He remembers. I pastored a couple. I'll just take a second to share this with you. And He was an older gentleman. He had married a younger lady. At one time, she was younger, and They'd grown old kind of together, and she was very involved in church, taught a, taught a, lady, uh, taught a children's uh, young lady's Sunday school class, very involved, sang in the choir, taught Sunday school class, very involved in every part of the church, and he wasn't. And, and he came from time to time, and you could just tell that when he was there, he wasn't comfortable. He wasn't comfortable. It wasn't that people didn't try to make him feel comfortable and make him feel welcome, but he didn't fit. He just, Larry fit better on a construction site. That's where he was at home, and he felt better there. But he kept coming and kept coming, and not often, but, but, but from time to time. And one day he walked in my office and said, Brother Bickham, I, 
I need, probably Brother Bingham, but he said, I need to, I, I think I need to be saved. And I said, okay. And we took the scripture and Larry bowed his head and called on the Lord. Baptized just very briefly. Now then, he's regular in church and he smiles when he comes. And he'll speak to people when, when, he, when he crosses their path and such. But you begin to tell over the years a little bit of difference in the way Larry responded to you. And it uh, didn't always appear like he was there. One day he, and, and they just lived two blocks, one direction, and three houses another direction from the church. She sang in the choir. Choir practice was Sunday morning before Sunday school, and so he never came to Sunday school because she, he, she wasn't there, and she was involved in teaching her class in choir practice and such, and so he always came at 11 o'clock by himself. So he left that morning. All he had to do was go three houses that way and two blocks that way, and he's at church. He had made that trip numerous times. So Betsy gets home from, from church, and he's not there. She waits a little while. He's not there. About 2.30 in the afternoon, the phone rings, and it's the police department in a town that's about an hour away and calls him by name and says, do, are you, do you know a Larry? And gave his last name, and she said, yes, that's my husband. I've been calling people for him. said, well, he's here in Plainview, Texas, and He's trying to find Arden Road Baptist Church, this tells me. Listen, when I buried Larry, I don't know if he knew who I was. I don't know if he knew who his wife was. I don't know if he knew who the Lord Jesus was. But I'm telling you, the foundation of God standing sure says Jesus knew who Larry was. Amen. I look at this, and I just find great comfort in this. And by the way, there's only one way that a person can have acceptance with God, and that is through Jesus Christ. I get so frustrated, and I, and I know I shouldn't get frustrated, but I get frustrated with people who suppose that what Christ did on Calvary was good, but, but it needs some of my good <laughs> to make it effective. Can I just tell you, if what Jesus did on Calvary by the shedding of his sinless blood wasn't enough, nothing I'm going to do in this life is going to make a difference. So I look at this and I say the foundation of God makes clear that the Lord knows them that are His. And then the foundation of God also makes clear, the foundation of God makes clear that the Lord's authority and man's accountability is still on the books. Look what it says in verse 20. He says, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure Heart. The foundation of God standing sure makes clear that the Lord's authority and our accountability is still on the books. You know, some people suppose that, well, we've been saved by grace, and so God's got grace towards us, and it just doesn't matter. It does matter. 
The Bible says the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness. And I'm saying to you, we will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, wait a minute, he said there's no condemnation. You're right, there is no condemnation. But let me tell you what there is. In this life, there is chastisement. There There is correction. Just like you raised your children. And, and you, you wanted them to, 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 to grow up and understand some things and to, to be decent human beings. And so you disciplined them. And the Lord will do that to us as well. So I know the Lord, the, the foundation of God standing sure. You say, how do you know there's, how do you know there's correction? How do you know the Lord's going to hold us accountable? Well, there's the foundation of God standing right there. It's got the inscription right there that says... Uh, it says to, in a great house there's some to honor and some to dishonor and flee youthful lust and all of that. I'm just saying to you the foundation of God standing sure tells me that God still has authority. And by the way, don't let the seemingly um, passing of time you know, I look at this world and I, I look at this world and I say, well God, come on, you should I'm no disrespect, but you should do something. And if God was to speak to me audibly, he must surely say something like, settle down, Dale. I'm waiting. I'm drawing. I know it's dark. I know it's difficult. But I'm pulling, I'm drawing people to myself. Settle down. Don't, be, don't suppose that there's no justice because, my, because I, I move slowly and I, I'm long-suffering. So the foundation of God says that He knows us. He knows His. The foundation of God says we're accountable to Him. And then number three, the foundation of God standing sure speaks of the Lord's availability and ability to accomplish. Look at verse 24 through 26. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if, now look at this, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Do you know what he's saying there? He's saying the foundation of God standing sure lets us know that God still has the capacity to reach the worst among us. Those taken captive by Satan, the worst amongst us, God is still able to reach them. He's still able to work with them. There's still a ministry for us to perform. There's still the, 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 the opportunity and the, and the chance that God can save the worst among us. That should excite us. Right. Parents who have seen a, a young man or a young lady run off and abandon everything they've been taught and live in such a way that it's not pleasing and you come to the place you just think it's just no use. It is use. God's still working. You say, well, how do you know? The foundation of God standeth sure. He still has the capacity to work. I have a good friend 
that um, as a, a, a pastor, he's not pastor now, he just retired, but he's a, he's a, we're, we're both 52 models. His birthday is April the 3rd, 1952, and my birthday was April the 4th, 1952, so we think 1952 was an excellent year. So he's, so he's, uh, he, he's a successful pastor. But his, his life and my life came from two different um, poles, if you will. My dad was a pastor, and I was raised in a good Christian home. And his, uh, his dad, and I'll, I'll use this word, was, was, and I knew his dad a little bit, was a little bit worthless and abandoned him and his mom. And when he was about seven years old, his mom took him out to the, and you just about have to be from Cal, uh, Amarillo to know the, about this home, but the Cal Farley's Boys Ranch. It was a ranch started by um, a, 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 a former uh, wrestler. <laughs> now that's what you want in, in charge of your, your boys' home is wrestlers. And um, so they started this home. All kinds of boys from across the country were brought there. My friend begged his mom, don't leave me here. Please don't leave me here. She said, it'll just be for a little while. It'll just be for a little while. I'll come get you. I'll come get you. I won't leave you here. I'll come get you. He said on the weekends he used to pack his bag and go sit on the steps. She never came. So back then in that day, and I don't know how it is now, but when you turned to 18 back then, you were done. There was no funds for you. Uh, they would take you to town, give you a little bit of cash and a bus ticket wherever you wanted to go. He had made a pretty good uh, farm hand, ranch hand, on, at the boys' ranch. So he was able to get a job at the J.A. Ranch, large ranch. Look at up, thousands of acres of ranch. Land. And so he got a job at the, at the J.A. Ranch, lived in the bunkhouse until he fell in love with the, form, the ranch foreman's daughter, and they got married. So then they put him in a, what they call a section house, a section of land with a house and a herd of cattle. They're not yours. The house is not yours. The cattle's not yours. The land is not yours, but you operate like it is. And so he, he's doing that. One night he goes to Amarillo, him and his wife, both unsaved. He goes to Amarillo. On the way home, drunk driving, he hits a cow. He hits a cow and rolls that old cow up on the hood of his car. And, of course, the impact deposits a lot of processed grass on top of the car. The old cow just, he hit it, it rolled up on the top, and then it just rolled back off, and he just backs up and goes on, on home. He gets up the next morning, and he looks out, and his old ranch dog is on top of his car licking and chewing this processed grass, and he's got a big old chunk of vinyl roof just <coughs> pulled back with his teeth. And I'm only telling you this to tell you his, his, his temperament. So he just reaches behind his door, pops the screen door open with his foot and takes his rifle and shoots his family dog off the top of his car. Gets in, the, gets in the car, takes his wife to the grocery store. They were a pair. Somebody invited her to church, and she went, and then went again, and then went again, 
and eventually understood she needed a Savior. So she comes home. She's a new creature in Christ. She tells her husband that she's gotten saved, and he says, I'm not going with you. That's okay. You don't have to, but I'm going. Okay. He says, Dale, such a difference in my wife that after a bit, I said, I think I'll go with you this morning. She said, okay. So he goes and eventually comes to understand God loves him. And he's going to die and go to hell if he doesn't accept Christ. And he accepts the Lord Jesus Christ. Ends up being the pastor of that church. Goes off, surrenders to the ministry, goes off, comes back. Ends up being the pastor of that church for 20-something years. And here's what he says about his testimony by his own words. Dale, don't give up on anybody. You say, well, I just like some hope. The foundation of God standing sure says that God's able to work amongst the worst and reach them and draw them to Himself. And, he, and, and you can be used of Him to reach them and draw them to the Lord. I'm just saying to you this evening that the foundation of God standeth sure. And I want you to get this. I want you to see this. Listen carefully. If you hear nothing else, hear this. The foundation of God is so sure that if you ignore it, resist it, reject it, deny it, you can't win. Period. It's an absolute. You ignore it, you can't win. Not here, not in eternity. You deny it, resist it, you can't win. Period. End of story. If that's your response, if that's your game, if that's how you want to play it, that's what you're going to fold with, if that's what you're going to hold, you can't win if you resist the foundation of God, the Word and and Christ. You can't win. But here's the good news, and here's why I call this an encouraging message. If you embrace the Word and Christ, listen to me, no matter what happens, you can't lose. You can't lose. You say, Pastor, the worst thing happened, my my mother died. Your mother, who was a Christian, yes, she died, the worst thing in the world. Sorry, not the worst thing in the world. I'm not trying to make light of it. But I'm telling you, You can't lose. You can't lose. You've won. Christ has paved the way. You, all you did was humbly accept what God through Jesus Christ purchased and offers you freely by His grace. And if you'll just accept that, you win. You win. Foundation of God, stand assured. Could I ask you tonight, is there somebody here who's given up on somebody? You've given up? And maybe you need to repent of that giving up because you gave up in spite of the foundation of God standing sure. Is, is there somebody here tonight who, who's maybe been just discontent with this world and discontent with life and such and you fail to understand that the foundation of God standeth sure? 
that you, you've won if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Is there somebody here tonight who says, Preacher, I, I, I kind of understand what you're saying. I, I feel like, for the first time, I kind of feel like I do need. I, I, I do. I, I am fearful of going to hell. I, I don't want to go to hell. I, I do want the forgiveness that you're saying is available, sounds good. Then I'm telling you tonight, it's available to you. You'll accept it. You can't lose. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for his help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked his disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And he offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?